All right, well, last week, I just watched Courtney Bale's amazing performance as Elsa at the Hoagland. She was great. And Scott and I were talking, and Casey actually, were talking in the, in the lobby, waiting for Courtney to come out from, from her performance. She was taking pictures in the back. And if you would have walked up to this conversation that the three of us were having at this moment, here's what you would have heard. You would have heard Scott say, thanks to Renee, it's been a long, miserable 15 years. <laughs> now, that's what you would have heard. And you would have wondered, what in the world is Scott talking about? Are they having problems? Thanks to Renee, it's been the long... Wait, we know Renee. She's awesome. What could Scott be mentioning here? Well, you have to know the context, right? And the context was we're talking about football since the Super Bowl is coming up. And Scott's favorite team used to be the 49ers. And now, thanks to Renee, it's been a long, miserable 15 years because he's a Bears fan. And she converted him to be a Bears fan 15 years ago. That's the context of that, of that comment. And the Bears, as we know, have struggled. It seems like they're always in a slump. You know, there might be some highlights of a season, but there always seems to be in a year-long, year-after-year slump. What exactly is a slump? A slump is a fall or decline substantially over a prolonged period. And when you get, when you get into a slump, it's much easier to get into a slump, I think, than it is to get out of a slump. It's kind of like putting on weight. It's easier to, to put on weight than it is to take it off, right? So what happens when we get in a spiritual slump? How do we turn that around? What happens when we start to notice that we're becoming spiritually flat? How do we get back on track? Well, today in the book of Revelation, we're going to read in chapter 2 that Jesus gives some very sound advice, some, some corrective measures if we ever identify that and find ourselves falling into a slump. So let's read about that this morning. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, <clears throat> I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. At the core of what it means to be a Christian is to have a love for Christ that's active and dynamic. A Christian life can really not be led apart from or detached from Christ. He's everything, right? I mean, we're forgiven in Jesus. We're forgiven in Christ. We're redeemed through Christ. We're, we're raised up. We're seated with Christ. He's everything. If you have Christ, you have everything. But if you don't have Christ, you have nothing. We all know this. We all know this, that Christianity is not a creed or a cause or a church. Christianity, we know this. It's not a religion of do's and don'ts. It's not a religion of rules and rituals. Christianity is Christ. 
It's a relationship with Christ. And sometimes, as with any, other, any relationship that you're ever involved with, there's ups and downs, right, in any relationship. Sometimes our love for Christ fluctuates. Sometimes the passion is really high. Sometimes it's not quite so high, and we're going through empty motions. This is what seemed to be happening at this church in Ephesus, that once they seemed to have been on fire for Christ and they've lost their first love, it was getting colder. The glow was becoming dimmer. The fire wasn't there. So first this morning, let's, together let's address the setting of this, of this writing to the church in Ephesus. The setting is Ephesus. And Ephesus, as we see here, is on the western side of Turkey. If we would go left over the Aegean Sea there, you would hit Greece. That's the setting. That's where it is. And it was a very thriving metropolis. You know, we have people from Auburn here. We have people from Chatham, a little bit bigger of a town. We have people from Springfield, a little bigger. Ephesus was like Chicago. Ephesus was New York City. Ephesus was Los Angeles of the times. Because of that access to the sea, they had, a lot of, they had a lot of trade, a lot of volume went through that town, so people stuck around. It became the center of literature, of sports, of arts, and unfortunately of pagan worship. The seventh wonder of the world, the temple to Diana or Artemis was located in this city. And although it was beautiful on the outside, what went on, what went on, on the inside of that temple is just stuff I don't really think we need to talk about this morning in our church setting. But it was in the middle of this city that God built a powerful, powerful church. You know, the church in Ephesus, we know, was founded by Paul. And we read that his second time through Ephesus, he stayed there for three years. That's longer than any other church that we read about in the New Testament that he founded. He stayed there three years and taught them. And in addition to Paul, we read that Aquila taught there, that um, Timothy pastored there, that Apollos taught there. And get this, the apostle John set up the headquarters of his ministry in Ephesus. And many people think that he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John from Ephesus. So that's quite a lineup. I mean, you guys have Mark and Rick, I know. But that's quite, that's quite a lineup for that church, right? So it's in the middle of all that that God built this great church in Ephesus. Now, who's the speaker here in this passage? Well, in chapter 2, verse 1, we read this. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write... The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. So the speaker is Jesus. He's the speaker here. He's the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And those seven stars are, are pastors of these seven churches that he's addressing. So we get this picture that Jesus is holding the pastors, and he's, he's got them in his, in his hand as his protection, right? And he's walking among the seven golden lampstands. Before in Revelation, it's identified. These seven golden lampstands are the churches. And doesn't that make sense? That the church is a lampstand? I mean, the church is really not, is not the light. The church is the conduit to shine the light of Christ. Right? It's a lampstand. We put the light on the lampstand. The church shines the light of the one who said, let there be light. And shines the light of his word. So, so the church as a lampstand is very appropriate. And we see that Christ is walking amongst the church. He's walking, looking, evaluating strengths, weaknesses amongst the church. And he has every right to do so. Why? Because the church is his bride. He bought the church with his blood. We are the bride of Christ. So in a very real sense, he's, he's with us when we meet. He's active. He's, he's amongst us. 
And maybe you felt him before when, when Rick reads a particular passage and just hits your heart. Or maybe the praise team plays a song and you just relate to it or a communion meditation or a prayer. Christ is always here amongst us, drawing us to him. That's the scene that we have here in Ephesus. And he mentions their strengths. And so even though this church at Ephesus was in a slump that we'll see in a minute. They had many positives going for it. And Jesus starts to lay those out here in verse 2. These strengths are, are ones I hope we would find in ourselves individually and also within our body here at CCC. So in verse 2, we read this. Jesus tells them, I know your deeds. Now notice that. Deeds are plural. So what does that tell you? That this is an active church. This is a hardworking church. This is a church that's on the go. They have deeds, plural. They're working. And in a very real sense, that that makes sense that Jesus would praise them for this because God is what? He is an active, working God. God's always at work. He created all of this out of nothing through the power of his word. He created Israel out of nothing, out of Abraham, just made a nation. He creates new hearts within us all the time, right? Right? pulling us back towards him, strengthening us. He's a creative, working God. He's always at work. And so these deeds, it makes sense that that when we're made in the image of God, that we're going to work too. And it's beautiful when our deeds, since we're to be working as God is to be working, they line up to God's mission. You know, I see these deeds not as things like, oh, I got to build a cabinet today, or oh, I got to do some other task. I think these are deeds that are aligned to God's work, to what he's accomplishing on earth also. So this church is hardworking. And, and it says, Jesus said, your toil. What that word means is working to the point of exhaustion. I mean, they were committed people. These were like the spiritual Marines. I mean, the few, the proud, the Ephesians, right? They were out there working. They would hit the beach, and they were out there to the point of exhaustion, working hard. And Jesus noticed this, and he said, this is one of your strengths. And he said, and your perseverance. They didn't stop. They didn't quit. Once they signed up for a ministry at the church, you know, to get involved and align their work to God's purposes on earth also, they were committed. They saw it to the end. They saw their projects through, persevered. Nothing could stop them. And I love these these other strengths that Jesus mentions here in verse 2. You cannot tolerate evil men. You just can't tolerate them. A little sense of church discipline here. Like if somebody came in, they started teaching us or the people in Ephesus uh, things that were not appropriate to the gospel or, or not the gospel for personal gain or something. They said, you didn't tolerate those people. You knew the truth. And you said, hit the road, bub. You know, we're not going to put up with that. And you put to test those who call themselves apostles, these false teachers, and they are not. And you found them to be false. Many, many, many strengths in this Ephesians church in Ephesus. And Jesus mentions one more here in verse 3, and you've persevered and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. They were doing this for the right motive, for Jesus' sake, not personal gain, for Jesus' name's sake. A lot of things going for it. And remember that this is Jesus' estimation of this church. Jesus is the one walking through this church. And it's Jesus who says, hey, here's what you're doing. This isn't like a church guru guy who came and sat in the back for a couple Sundays and plugged stuff into a spreadsheet and spit out some formula, right? This is Christ mentioning these strengths as he's walking amongst them. An incredible church. 
Incredible. And the church, as we know, is nothing more than individuals. So incredible individuals within this church. But they didn't keep something front and center. They had a lot of things going for them, but they'd wandered from the principle of keeping the main thing the main thing. You know, if you hit a home run and you don't touch first base and you hit second base and third base and home, I believe if I understand the rules, they can go back and get you out. If you miss first base, you've got to keep the main thing and the main thing. So verse four starts with that little word that we see often in scripture, but. And sometimes the buts in the Bible are good and sometimes the buts in the Bible are bad, but it's a word of transition, right? Jonathan read one earlier. That's what I heard in his uh, praise team. He read Ephesians 2.4. He said, our trespasses and sins, but thanks to the grace of God, who's rich in mercy, we've been raised up. That's a good but. This one is not so good because after all those strengths, Jesus says, but I have this against you. And I can just imagine the Ephesians as they're out there in the Pastors reading this letter, they probably paused and kind of swallowed kind of hard when Jesus said, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. You've left your first love. It didn't seem to me like it happened overnight. It seemed like a slow fade, like a slow leak in a tire. They kind of didn't notice it, but they're drifting. Like when a tire explodes, we notice it. But this seemed to be happening over time that they left their first love amidst all those positive things that we just read about. Their stance on truth, everything, their love for Jesus. The main thing was growing cold. That's what Jesus is saying. So what is first love? Well, we kind of all know what first love is. It's that passionate love that two people feel when they first get together and they see marriage in the future and they fall in love with each other and they just can't get enough of each other and they think about the other one all the time and it's just a blessing to be in the same room with them and uh, and if the person you're dating wears red lipstick then a lot of pictures you'll also have red lipstick on your lips will kind of be red we notice (laughs) but that's that first love that's that first love where you're just touchy and feeling, just can't get enough of it, right? And, and the people in Ephesus had this. They had a first love, but Jesus is saying, you, you left me. You left me. What happened? You know, we, maybe, we, maybe we can relate to this on a human level with marriages, because that first love, once we get married, we know what happens. You know, years go by, and you get busy. Stress of life, kids come. Kids get busy. And a couple wakes up, and they kind of look over one morning, and they're just kind of distant from their mate, right? And these things, these drifts happen, and this is what happened to them. Their devotion for Christ seemed to have cooled off. Their worship became mechanical. Their attendance just became routine, you know, let's go to church, and it just, something was gone. Can you relate to this? I think everybody breathing in this room can relate to this in some way or another, right? Because it's part of a relationship. This is going to happen at times in our walk, ups and downs, when we become preoccupied or, or distracted or whatever, and our heart just becomes a little bit cooler towards Jesus. So how would somebody turn this around is the question. How would somebody right the ship? You know, maybe, maybe you're thinking right now, maybe you're thinking, Mark, this is me, <laughs> 
this is me. I'm flat. I'm, I'm kind of in a spiritual slump. How do you right the ship? How do you turn around? Well, thanks be to God that he doesn't play hide and seek with us, right? In this next verse, he lays it out perfect for us. And he starts off <clears throat> in verse 5, and he says, Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. The key, <clears throat> the first step, excuse me, here in verse 5, to rekindling that fire, to getting back on track, is to remember. Remember back to your first love. Can you remember that? Can you remember back to when you were first saved? When you were very first saved? Were you excited? Did you read the Bible more? Did you pray more? Were you eager to come to church? Did you like elbow Paul Hunley out of the way at the carport there and greet people instead of him? Say, I got it this morning, Paul. I mean, how excited were you? It's exciting. It's contagious because you realize, man, Jesus just forgave my sins, right? I was dead, dead, and he gave me life. You were excited. Do you remember back to that first love when you were first saved? If we were saved, I think every one of us has a first love experience with Jesus. And he's simply saying here, if you lose your first love, remember back. Remember back to where you've fallen. I, I, for me, it was probably college, right? It was probably my junior, senior year, maybe my master's program at college. I, I just started reading the word more, and, and God was just pulling me towards him, right? And I had, I called my grandpa, and I said, Grandpa, can you give me a new, can you get me a new King James Bible? Because all I have is this living Bible, and I want to compare, do you remember those, the living Bible? And, and I wanted to compare the two for translations, and Grandpa said, sure, and he sent me one. And I couldn't get enough of, I didn't have a church home, so I started watching some TV preachers, and boy, I was faithful. Every time they were on, I would watch these TV preachers, right, who I, who I resonated with, and then they got thrown in jail, so I had to find some different, <laughs> different TV preachers, right? But that's what I had, and I was plugged in. And, and, and walking to class, I just, God was on my mind all the time, you know, walking, seeing him in nature, communing with him, fellowship with him. That was my first love experience. And, and you had something similar. All of our situations are different, but I think we all had something of a similar nature. And so it's a very good question for us just to ponder this morning is, have you left your first love? Is your spiritual life going this way or is it going this way? Are we increasing or decreasing? Are we hot or are we cold? We need to be one or the other, right? And we need, if, we're, if we're descending or going this way, then let's turn it around. That's not a good place to be in. And Christ says, just remember. Remember back to when you first were saved. And then repent. Repent of the things that you've been doing to cause that gulf, right? Repent with your mind and with your heart, your whole body. Repent. Start thinking right. You know, grab a hold of your thoughts. Start thinking right. Start thinking the way God thinks. Align your thoughts to him, right? Start hating what God hates. Start loving what God hate, loves. Start aligning yourself to Christ. Be molded into his image. Grab a hold of your mind. Repent. And your heart, right? Your heart, which is getting colder. It, as you see, you identify it, and now it becomes warmer. Your heart of stone is more like a heart of flesh, and we start rekindling that fire within us. So repent, Right? Remember, repent. And then Jesus says to do the deeds you did at the beginning. And I titled that as repeat. Repeat. Go back to the way your behaviors when you were first saved. Now, here in Revelation, Jesus doesn't 
outline those behaviors for us. But we do get an idea of some early believers, early behaviors, deeds they did at the beginning in Acts chapter 2. Right? In Acts chapter 2, we read of that, and we often cite it in our church services, of Peter's sermon at Pentecost, uh, where he preached to people, and, and they said, Peter, what must we do to be saved? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life. Right? And in verse 41, we read that 3,000 people were saved, 3,000 people. And in 42 follows that and says this, that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching right after their first say, first love experience, continually devoting themselves to apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And this is why you know who've been here a long time at Chatham Christian know that this is non-negotiable for us in our worship service, that there are some things that are negotiable, but not these things, not the apostles' teaching, not the breaking of bread, not fellowship, not communion, not prayer. The apostles' teaching, like today, Jesus through the apostle John, right? Through communion that we're going to have in a little bit and our fellowship and time together. That's what they were doing right off the bat. And think about that. Doesn't that make sense? Is that a similar pattern for you? When you were first saved, did you not get into the apostles' teaching? Couldn't, did you have to read every red letter that was in your Bible? You know, every bit of the apostles' teachings about Jesus when you were first saved? Didn't you get into that and just pour over that and be like, I want to learn more, 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 and I want to read it again? The apostles' teaching. That's what you did when you were first saved. So I think Jesus is saying, get back to that. And fellowship, that's what you did also, didn't you? Think back to that. Fellowship meaning, like I said earlier, about with Sunday school and groups. Fellowship is not about donuts. And don't get me wrong, I love donuts, and I never want to speak bad about donuts. But fellowship is not about donuts. This fellowship is amongst us. And we're talking about the first part, what we've learned in the apostles' teaching. We're talking about Jesus. We're building each other up. Was that part of your first love experience with Christ? And surely you prayed to him daily, often thank you, and you met around the Lord's table. So these are the deeds you did at the beginning. And I think Jesus is just saying, go back to those. Repeat. Think about what you did. And before we we move on, we should probably finish off this verse. Because he says, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. That is not the second coming that I look forward to, and neither do you. That seems to be a coming of divine intervention and consequences. So to finish off this passage in Revelation, where he's talking, I think, to us very clearly, and all of us as individuals that make up the church, Jesus moves on, and he, we see that he's laid out some positives for people in the church. I hope that reflects some of our behaviors. He's laid out some things if you happen to be sliding or in a slump. And he finishes by saying, this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He's saying here, let's go back to the positives. He's so graceful. He always loves us. He's always there with open arms, no matter where we are in our walk with him. And he just says, I think here to those folks and maybe to us today, he's saying, this you do have, I'm still with you. This you do have, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Just fill that in for where you're strong in your spiritual life. He's saying, hey, we got this together. Good job. Keep it going, right? Remember, I'm walking with you. I'm with you. We can do this. Yet this is what you do have. Remain in some things. 
very gracious picture of Christ after he's given them a lot to think about. And he says in verse 7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I like the fact that our 2 Timothy verse said, All scriptures God breathed. We see it right here. Let him hear what the Spirit, God's breathing this to the churches. Plural, not just this church in Ephesus. I think he's talking about churches throughout all generations. He says to the churches, To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And when I thought about this last verse this week, just to give you one more final thought to ponder before you go home, and whenever you do after Sunday school or whatever, but I thought I read this and it was, Grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I thought, I thought of the tree of life that was in the paradise of God in the first pages of the Bible, in Genesis, in the garden. I thought of that tree of life, and I thought about how man sinned, how we were expelled from the garden, and we couldn't get back in there, and our access to God was denied due to our sin. And then I find it so beautiful that here in the book of Revelation, and really not much in between, guys, but... But really, back here in the very last book of the Bible, here's the tree of life again. And it pops up in the, as we talk about the paradise of God, Eden restored, heaven coming down to earth, the paradise of God on that last day. The tree of life is there, and we will get to eat of it. And in all this in between, the tree of life is just God's beautiful story of redeeming us, of how due to our sin and our lack of access now to him, how he is going to claim us back and he is going to chase us down and he will redeem us through Christ. And that's this whole book. And we get to the tree again. I find it beautiful and amazing what a powerful and lovely God we serve. And I find it so gracious that he lays it out so plain for us today if we happen to be drifting. So in conclusion... These are some beautiful steps that we could take if we feel like our first love with Christ has grown cold. And we just have to conclude by asking ourselves these questions this morning, right? Where is our heart? Where is our relationship with the Lord? Right? If you're saved through Christ, how are you doing? Have you left your first love? And if you have, just be assured, we all know this from our relationship and what we know about Jesus. He is waiting with open arms, open arms to just hug us and reclaim us back and rekindle that first love. This is by no means, for me too, as I evaluate my life, guys, this is no, by no means meant to be a guilt trip. We're all on just a life and a trip full of grace. And know that the grace of God is there waiting for us to come back to him at any, any moment in our life. In a few minutes, we're going to be eating the Lord's Supper together. As we know, one of the purposes of the Lord's Supper that we do is we somberly examine ourselves. And uh, I think we can continue this train of thought to the Lord's Supper that we're going to share together in a moment as we examine our hearts this morning. So let's stand and sing as we get ready for our communion time this morning.